Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Trump's targets. A new rallying cry jolts the 2020 race. President Trump fans the flames of racism with political attacks. You can't talk that way about our country. Not when I'm the president. Is this a preview of the general election race? I'll speak with 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Cory Booker and Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson next. And Mueller's moment. Democrats waited for years for Robert Mueller's report. Now he'll be taking their questions. If we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. Will the special counsel reveal new information about the president? Plus, star power. The candidates gear up for a fight at CNN's Democratic debates. Looking forward to it. I like it. As they make their case to the American people, who's winning the Hollywood primary? in for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is, here we go again. President Trump is beginning yet another Sunday with an attack on four freshman Democratic Congresswomen, tweeting just moments ago, I don't believe the four Congresswomen are capable of loving our country. They should apologize to America and Israel for the horrible, hateful things they have said. They are destroying the Democratic Party, but are weak and insecure people who can never destroy our great nation. Now, it was exactly a week ago this morning that the president told the same four congresswomen to, quote, go back and fix the countries they came from in a series of racist tweets. By midweek, the president was disavowing a chant by his own supporters at a rally provoked by those tweets to, quote, send her back about Somali-born congresswoman Ilhan Omar, an American citizen, and falsely saying he had spoken up to quickly stop those chants. Now, on Friday, the president reversed himself, calling the rally-goers incredible patriots. And now today, he is questioning those congresswomen love of the country. So joining me now is someone who is running to replace President Trump, 2020 presidential candidate Cory Booker of New Jersey. Good morning, Senator. Let me start by asking uh, about the president. And you said the president's original comment was racist. Many of your opponents, Bernie Sanders, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, they've called Trump himself a racist. What makes you stop short of that? Well, I, I actually am not. The reality is uh, this is a guy who is worse than a racist. He is actually using racist tropes and racial language uh, to, for political gain. He's trying to use this as a weapon to divide our nation against itself. And this is somebody who is very similar to George Wallace, to uh, racist who used, the, he's using the exact same language. As somebody texted me during his rallies, I've seen this before in black and white, and now I'm seeing it again decades later where I thought our country was beyond this. I'm seeing this in full color. So this uh, election in many ways is yet another chapter in our American history. We've seen it with the Know Nothing Party, 
which was a trying to stop Irish and German immigrants. We've seen it uh, with McCarthyism. We have a demagogue, fear-mongering person who is using race to divide. And this is a referendum, not on him. It's actually a referendum on the heart and soul of our country. Well, who let, are we going to be and who are we going to be to each other? So let's talk about your race to get the chance to run against President Trump. CNN announced uh, this week the lineup for the Democratic debate. Next week, you will be on the stage right next to former Vice President Joe Biden. Your deputy communications director tweeted about next week's debate and said the following. Mark the date, July 31st, 2019. Joe Biden finally gets his own Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. What does that mean? I'm not sure I didn't see the tweet. Uh, I'm looking forward to being on that stage with people uh, that are vying for the most important job in our country and looking forward to putting out a vision uh, of what we need for the future of our party. And we need leaders not only good and sharp on the ideas, but back to that issue of the soul of our nation well, is who can really divide, uh, excuse me, at a time that Trump is trying to divide, who can really unite not just our party, but who can unite the country as a whole. Joe Biden, of course, came under fire for his handling of the Anita Hill hearings when he was chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Do you think it's about that? And more importantly, is that something that's in the front of your mind as you think about preparing for this debate? Well, look, uh, you know, there are issues uh, in uh, all across our country that we're still struggling with and challenges. Uh, we're still in a nation which uh, does not treat women on equal footing, whether it's equal pay for equal work or the scourge of sexual assault that still is uh, something in our country, even as I saw recently in the Senate, where we are not dealing with as we should and listening to women. And even more than that, uh, we see a criminal justice system that not only uh, attacks women, we have 86% of the women we incarcerate are survivors of sexual assault, mm -hmm. but a prison system that was supercharged by things like the 1994 crime bill. So we have to solve these problems and do it today. I'm proud to have been uh, a part of, in fact, one so, of the leaders of the only major not bipartisan bill that passed through the Senate to try to reverse the things that were caused so just, by the 1994 crime bill. I want to move on, but just to be clear, you don't know what the context was of a tweet by your own spokesperson? No, I do not. Okay. Let's talk about uh, your record, which you are running on. Uh, you were mayor of Newark. Uh, and part of that record comes with the DOJ report, which talks about some of your time as mayor and says that black residents were at least two and a half times more likely than white residents to be stopped, to be arrested or searched. And the report says this about black residents, quote, the, this undeniable experience of being disproportionately affected by the Newark Police Department's unconstitutional policing helps explain the community distrust and cynicism that undermines effective policing in Newark. Do you take any responsibility for the way this policing hurt black residents of Newark under your watch? Yeah, I actually took responsibility. Most folks who know New Jersey know I inherited a police department that had decades of challenges with accountability, challenges along racial lines. And we actually stepped up to deal with the problem, not only working with the DOJ, but working with the ACLU to put forward what was a national standard setting level of accountability. So I'm proud of that record as a mayor of trying to take on these problems and frankly, as a senator, I've won one of the few senators and put forth legislation to create more police accountability, more transparency, so that we could begin to deal with some of the deep racial issues that we have that permeate not just policing, uh, uh, but also everything from prosecutorial actions to our criminal justice system as a whole. Um, we had real challenges in the city of Newark, and 
we worked hard not only to deal with that, but on prisoner reentry programs and transforming our court system. We did a lot of things that really have become models for what needs to happen, not just in New Jersey, but in our nation as a whole. I want to get to a couple of other issues. Health care, of course, which is a huge one uh, in the race for uh, the Democratic nomination. Your 2020 opponent, Kamala Harris, who supports Medicare for all like you do, said this week that she would not raise taxes on the middle class to pay for it. Uh, Joe Biden went on the attack about it this week. Let's listen. Now, you have a lot of people out there supporting his plan who are running saying, but I'm not for that tax. Well, there's no way to pay for it if you don't. So you're a co-sponsor of Medicare for All. Would you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for it? First of all, I'm I'm a co-sponsor of a lot of bills that can deal with this savagely broken system, Mm -hmm. the costs of which are tremendously to the tune of hundreds and hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars more than a lot of other countries are paying. We have a deeply broken system. If I am president of the United States, the first step uh, that I'm going to take is to create a public option that actually will reduce costs within the system, driving down prescription drug costs, attacking the bureaucracy that's going on. Uh, As somebody who actually had to run something, I was a chief executive uh, of uh, our state's largest city during a recession. Uh, we found ways to battle back bureaucracy, lower costs, and make things more but efficient. But, Senator, That's do you want to do I'll that? Do. Okay, but do you want to do that with the Medicare for All plan? Because you're a co-sponsor. That suggests that the answer is yes, but you're saying maybe not. No, look, what I've said very clearly to folks is I believe that Medicare for All is the end that we should be seeking. Uh, but anybody who says that, it can't be a political slogan. There has to be a pathway there. And the first step in that pathway is actually creating a vibrant public option, driving down costs for Americans, creating uh, options so people don't have to ration their prescription drugs. So Bernie and Sanders, so, uh, Elizabeth Warren, they would do Medicare for all at the beginning. Well, they get in the White House well, and that would be what they would do. For you, the answer is no. Dan, Dana, you, you and I both know that even if we had 60 votes in the Senate right now, all the Democrats in the Senate wouldn't even support that. Mm. This is about not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're dealing with a country right now that needs a lot more good. So is Medicare and for so All the unrealistic? Next step of what the, the, no, look, Medicare for All is what we should be going for. But the first step getting there has to be showing that we can create a public option, allowing Medicare to be more available for more people. And if we do that, by the way, we'll drive down costs because... People from uh, 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 private pools will begin to choose Medicare for all. Elder people, more older people, 55, 56, will choose that public option, which will make those private pools go down. And and you're right. I do know the reality of Congress, but I just want to make sure that we're clear here. You just said Medicare for all, which you said is your aspiration, can't pass. So it wouldn't be your first uh, issue out of the gate. I'm not taking anything off the table. I believe that this election for our, our nation needs to be a movement election. So we don't necessarily know what, the, what Congress is going to look like. My goal is that in America, all Americans agree with this, that in this country, uh, health care should be a right. Nobody should be being denied health care opportunities because they can't afford them. And so what's the first steps that we can take to begin to get there? They have to involve increasing access and lowering costs for Americans. And I am more than confident that I can be the president to deliver on that. Pragmatic steps that can pull new coalitions together to advance us towards our ultimate goal of everybody having health care in America. Senator, your Democratic opponent, Bernie Sanders, is under fire from his own campaign staff for not paying some of them salaries of $15 per hour. 
you also support a $15 an hour minimum wage. Do you pay your campaign staff that? You know, we've said in our campaign that we're not only going to pay our campaign staff that, but we're going to pay interns as well. So uh, I'm very proud of the House that we have. Not only do we pay our campaign staff uh, uh, wages that reflect what my values are, but we actually make sure uh, that we have inclusive campaigns, diverse campaigns. So it's $15 uh, an hour? Uh, minimum? It's $15 an hour or more than okay. that, yes. Okay. Um, I want to ask about something that you were recently asked, and that is about whether or not you would meet with Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. He's unabashedly anti-Semitic. He said, quote, I don't, you said, quote, I don't feel like I need to do that, but I'm not one of those people who says that I wouldn't sit down with anybody to hear what they have to say. Is that still where you are? Well, first of all, that that is completely taking out of context that larger conversation. Okay, give me the context. Uh, I, I will not sit. I will not sit down with uh, Louis Farrakhan. Period. Um, and I reject anybody who uh, preaches that kind of uh, um, bigotry and hate uh, towards other Americans. Okay, thank you for clearing that up. Uh, let's talk about this coming week. Uh, the uh, former special counsel Robert Mueller. He's going to testify before Congress, as you well know. He did not make a determination uh, during his investigation in the report about whether the president committed a crime. He cited Justice Department guidelines that say a sitting president can't be indicted. Your 2020 opponent, Elizabeth Warren, wants to get rid of that policy. Would you as president? Well, first of all, I want to be specific because we're going to have a a big week ahead uh, with Mueller coming before Congress. And uh, what I see in the behavior that I see in that uh, outlined with great specificity in that report that many federal prosecutors have come out and said are indictable offenses and something that does uh, is tantamount uh, to obstruction or obstruction itself. Um, I believe Congress has a role to play right now, uh, and I've been someone who's called for the beginnings of impeachment proceedings, especially because we have a president right now who is not allowing Congress to do its job, which is to provide checks and balances of the administration to provide oversight and investigation. So this is a moment where as someone who swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, we have a president that is acting not like the leader of the free world, but more like an authoritarian figure. Senator and Corey, so we, go ahead, finish I, I just want to finish the sentence. We, we need to begin impeachment proceedings against this president. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sorry for the delay there. I appreciate you joining me this morning, Senator. No, thank you for having me on. Thank you. And next up, I'll ask a leading Republican senator how the president's latest fight is going over in a key swing state. And coming up, did President Trump find a way to unite all Americans over hatred of paper straws? Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Dana Bash. President Trump's racist attacks this week on four Democratic Congresswomen came as he is already campaigning for a re-election bid, which begs the question, is this controversy helping President Trump with those king's key swing state voters? Well, joining me now is a senator from one of those swing states that President Trump won in 2016, Wisconsin Republican Ron Johnson, who is chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Senator, I have to start by asking you about President Trump's tweet just this morning, continuing his attacks on those progressive congresswomen. Here's what he tweeted in part. I don't believe the four congresswomen are capable of loving our country. Do you agree with the president that they are not capable of loving the United States? Uh, Good morning, Dana. You know, 
I would say in general, uh, the whole America love it or leave it is not, not a new sentiment. You know, back in the, the 60s, that wasn't uh, considered racist. I, I just find it very unfortunate that uh, so many parts of our public debate right now are getting immediately stuck inside a racial framework when what I would like to see is, is uh, us moving toward that colorblind society. I was hoping when President Obama was elected, it would really go a long way toward healing the, the racial divide so we can concentrate on these enormous challenges facing this nation where we really could embrace Dr. King's uh, sentiment that let's judge people on the base of the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. So, so I would like to see everybody, I'd like to see everybody reduce their rhetoric and let's start dealing with these enormous challenges facing this nation in good faith effort. You know, Dan, Dan I, I truly believe that Americans, by and large, all have the same goal in mind. We all want a safe, prosperous, and secure America. Let's concentrate on those shared goals and let's start tackling some of these problems. Fair point. But when the president of the United States tweets first last week, send them back, which for people like you and me, maybe it doesn't hit a hit a, you know, a chord and, and strike a nerve. But for people of color, it does, because many of them have heard that, you know, in their communities in a very negative way, still even in 2019. So given that and, and today saying that they are incapable of loving this country, how is the president doing, practicing what you just preached? Well, again, I understand people, you know, not likely to hear that. And again, I would like to see everybody tone down the rhetoric and start concentrating on the big problems. So what I prefer is we start talking about these enormous challenges. You've been down the border. You understand the overwhelming nature of that crisis. Uh, let's start focusing on that, which, by the way, I'm doing. You, know, I, you had Cory Booker on. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a co-sponsor with him on the, on the Fair Chance Act. You know, we, we voted in the first step. Act. I mean, those are things that uh, President Trump championed. So l let's concentrate on the problems and let's start looking at uh, some some nonpartisan uh, solutions. I have I have a lot of questions uh, about issues, but I just feel like because this is the president of the United States, the leader of your party who won your state with votes from your constituents, I just it, it's incumbent, I think, upon me and maybe you to, to be more clear. Do you disavow his statements last week and this morning or not? And then we're going to move on. Yeah, well, again, the president did not like the chant. I didn't like the chant. And uh, so hopefully there won't be another of, crowd in one of those rallies that do that. What about his, his tweet this morning saying they're not capable of loving the country? I mean, th th that's his opinion. I, I don't agree with it. OK. All right. So let's move on to talk uh, about some of the big issues, including international issues. Iran uh, seized two British tankers, uh, British tanker ships, rather, this morning in the Strait of Hormuz on, and this, on Friday. This happened. They're still holding one of those ships captive now. And this comes as the U.S., uh, according to CNN reporting, is looking at possibly being more hawkish in tone towards Iran. So you chair the Homeland Security Committee. You sit on the Foreign Relations Committee. Is the U.S. headed closer to war with Iran? Uh, I hope not. But let's face it, uh, Iran has been a malign influence, the, the largest state sponsor of terror since its founding uh, back in, in the late 70s. Uh, you, you go down the, the list of the Beirut bombing or the IEDs they supplied in the Iraq war, their involvement in Syria, in Yemen. Uh, that is why we were so opposed to the Iranian agreement, because it, it pushed, it, it, it allowed hundreds of, uh, more than $100 billion of, of money to flow into the economy and the military of the largest state sponsor of terror. And by the way, as you see, as they've increased their enrichment of uranium, it did nothing to stop their nuclear weapon program. So 
again, I think Iran is playing a very, very dangerous game. Uh, it makes no sense that they'd go after the U.K. I think they were trying to divide the U.S. from, from uh, our friends and allies. Uh, they're, they're just uniting us in, in hopefully standing up to Iran once and for all, demanding they, they never have a nuclear weapon and to end their, missile, their ballistic missile uh, technology and their malign uh, sponsor of, of uh, terrorism around the region, around the world. Let's talk about the border. You, as Homeland Security Chair, I know you have been working very hard to come up with a bipartisan solution to the crisis there, the humanitarian crisis uh, and, and the whole crisis overall currently. Are you any closer to that as you're talking to your Democratic colleagues behind the scenes? Well, I think we took a good step, uh, but it's just a, a baby step in signing a letter of support for Operation Safe Return, where we rapidly and more accurately determine those families that clearly don't have even a credible fear claim and safely, and I underline safely, return those individuals back to the safe zones of Central America. Now, again, it's, it's, a, it's a first step, but, but Danny, you, you understand the overwhelming nature of, of the problem. I sent you that chart and your mm -hmm. jaw dropped. I mean, since, since 2014, that was the humanitarian crisis year when President Obama declared it, humanitarian crisis when 120,000 unaccompanied children, but primarily people coming as a family and entered this country illegally, uh, we've had 1,148,000 unaccompanied children and family members enter this country illegally, been apprehended, and they've been dispersed all over America. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelmed our, our adjudication system. We've only removed about 12,000 of that, of the, about the 820,000 family members. That's about 1.5%. So it, that creates a huge incentive for more people. There's a survey done in Guatemala a third of Guatemalans intend to migrate to the United States. That's about 5.8 million people depopulating uh, Guatemala and Central America. That's not good for Central America. It's not good for us. So there are so many components to this issue, to this problem. The, the destroyed public institutions because of the drug cartels because of our insatiable demand for drugs. I mean, the fact that we create these huge incentives and pull we, factors we have, of we a have broken a system. So, so... We have Go so ahead. Many, so I'm, we, I'm trying to work with my yeah. Democratic colleagues to fix it. Okay. So there's a multi-tiered... Uh, multi-layered, very complex problem, which has been going on and has is, is, is reached new heights uh, in recent months. But to figure that out, you have to have people who are willing to take a political hit from their own party and talk to people on the other side of the aisle. Is that going to happen? Well, I had three Democrats join in the letter, and that was uh, Doug Jones and, and uh, uh, Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Sinema really kind of led that effort. But I was really working very closely with uh, my ranking member, Gary Peters. Tom Carper called me. Uh, wanted to be constructive. So I, I think there is goodwill um, in the Senate to try and fix this problem, but all the components. I mean, wh what do you do with the 8 million people in this country undocumented that are in the workforce? You know, you have the dreamers. You know, what, what do you do with the 1.1, million people who have come in since 2012 DACA as a part of the family unit? Nobody's talking about, you know, what do we do with those individuals? So this is an enormous challenge. You know, what do you do to, to help create development in Central America so people don't feel that they want to move to America, uh, basically economic mi migrants, which is not a valid asylum claim. So, again, we, we could spend this entire program and barely scratch the surface of all the complexity of this problem. But we have to start, from my standpoint, reduce that flow of people coming to this country, exploiting our broken asylum system, uh, focus on that while we uh, certainly try and help uh, Central America. Well, you gave viewers, I think, a glimmer of hope that uh, there is actually a conversation being had between uh, conservatives like you and some, maybe some moderate Democrats and even some more liberals to try to get beyond the politics and fix the crisis. Thank you so much, Senator. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you.
And President Trump is dusting off his 2016 playbook that he brought with him to the White House as he runs for president a second time. Will it work again? Plus, Democrats are cramming before the Mueller hearings this week, holding mock sessions and sharpening their questions. But are there political risks for the party? That's next. I was not happy with it. Uh, I disagree with it. Uh, but again, I didn't say I didn't say that they did. That stadium was packed. It was a record crowd, and I could have filled it ten times, as you know. Those are incredible people. Those are incredible patriots. That was the president sending some mixed signals on the send her back chance from his North Carolina rally this past week. He is back on Twitter this morning, writing, "Quote." I don't believe the four Congresswomen are capable of loving our country. Let's discuss with our panel. Who wants to start with this one? <laughs> Senator Santorum. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the president's going to make this about uh, patriotism. He's going to make it about, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is his base. This is what he's going to talk about. I, I think that, that tweet sort of sums up where they're going to go going forward on this, that you know, that, that these these not just these four, the squad, but but the broader Democratic Party uh, are uh, are moving this country in a way that is fundamentally different than uh, than 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 uh, the traditional American values of of a free economy and 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 religious liberty and all the things that that I think most Americans hold dear. You see the progressive left just sort of uh, destroying that. And that's, that's a much better way of saying what he's what he's but saying it, but, but if that's I, not but here's what the he's saying no, the, here's the, 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 guys, the point is if thing. he said it that way no one would be talking Correct. about this this morning he says things <clears throat> to bring attention to these issues and i know it, it's hair on fire time for everybody on the left no. but we're talking about this i'm not on the Wait, left i'm a republican okay. and it's hair on fire for me because it's disgusting yeah. and because it's un-american and because this is not conservatism this is not patriotism this is division this is pure racism but, but it's and and marginalizing people who happen to have some criticisms uh, of our, our of our country. I don't like those criticisms, Congressman. You know that, Senator. You know that. But there's a difference between between pointing out those criticisms and turning Americans against Americans to get elected. But That's there's disgusting. also there is a, an important difference. And as the black woman at this table, if you have not had somebody get in your face and say. Go back to Africa. And as a six-year-old, I'm like, I, I, what? It's very confusing. It's very upsetting. It is an old racist trope to say, go back where you came from. To say it about four women of color, black and brown women, when we know that the fundamental issue that he is, what he's really trying to do here is stoke racism, bigotry, and fear. It's what he did in 2016. It's what he's doing in 2020. And I'll tell you something. Pew just came out with a poll that showed last month that actually independents don't like it. People feel embarrassed. People feel disgusted by it. So I think that, hold on, I think that the danger for the Republican Party on this, as your base continues to shrink, I don't know how you're going to make an argument to women or people of color that they should be joining the Republican Party. What we're also seeing is, as we saw in 2018, independents, moderates moving away because they're so disgusted. It's, so let's, let's get you in. It's good to know that racism uh, uh, means that you're uh, incredibly patriotic uh, in 2019 <laughs> America because I get told nearly every single day, Dana, 
on the social media to go back home, even though I was born and raised in this country. And it's interesting that they never followed up with questions about my economic and political ideology. It's very interesting that Donald Trump tells four congresswomen of color, three of them who were born and raised in this country, remember that country, Ohio, that radical country, that Muslim country, Ohio, right. yeah, the country of Ayanna Presley? He tells them to go back home to their country, but Bernie Sanders, a democratic socialist, is never told to go back home to his country. And then he doubles down with a 13-second chant. And I just want people to like, really think about this. What does it say about this country when Donald Trump ignites a nativist chant that was used against Italians, Eastern European Jews, and Catholics, send her back for 13 seconds, basks in it, and said that those people are incredible patriots? The question I have are two questions. Is it racist? It's racist, period. Question I have, what are the repercussions yeah. of this racism on Americans, especially communities of color, you can ask us? And number two, is this the vision of America for Republicans going forward? That 13-second clip of incredible patriots using a nativist chant, send her back home. Is this the vision of America for Republicans? Well, no, it's not. And, and here's the problem that you have in, in claiming that this is racist. I, I, would, I would agree. The fact that he picked out four, uh, four women, although they have sort of identified themselves as a squad, so it's not like he picked them out. They, they're, they're an identified group. The fact that they're all people of color, in my opinion, is problematic. But what he is criticizing them for is not the color of their skin. He's criticizing them for the positions they take. If they That's, were white, would he say, set, go back to your if, own country? If, if, if the squad white included people white people, he would be just as anything. equally critical. He would not say, go back to your I, own I, country. I just, I just, he knows exactly I, what he was doing. What would I, that I, even mean? Go back to Fremont, California. Dana, you and I... And maybe everyone else, we, we covered McCain 2008. Mm -hmm. That's right. And when I saw this send her back moment, I immediately thought of John McCain. Of course. Right. Not only did he have multiple opportunities behind the scenes with his staffers to go low and to go racial and refused, but there was that very public moment at a town hall when someone confronted him and said, I don't like that Obama, he's a Muslim. And John McCain said, no, he isn't. Mm -hmm. He said it in real time. He said it immediately. No, ma'am. Family man. I immediately. Yeah. I was, I just happened to listen, I was there. I was there for that, that right. rally, and I right. think you were, too. It, it is a different time. I just have one question before we go to break. <clears throat> I'm just asking about the raw strategy here. As a Republican who's run many campaigns, including for president, do you think this is the right strategy for the leader of the Republican Party? I think Party? it's the right strategy to go after the Democrats on how extreme they are. Is he taking and, it too far? And these four people. Four, four Democrats and these the four whole party. And these four people. Women of color. These four people exemplify in, in the worst possible terms, in my mind, that the, the, how extreme the Democratic Party has gone. The fact that they are four women of color is problematic and leads to the issue of racism. But here's the problem with the Democrats. Every issue is a race issue. When it, the, the Democrats are called true. Wolf that all the time true. on the issue Isn't of race. Isn't he making it easy? And, and, and he's, he's making maybe it in e some ways You're harder. absolutely right. This, the thing that frustrates me is he is trope. making it easy on this case, but the fact is they've lost credibility on this issue. You know why I call oh, no, racism? I, I call racism when racists behave like racists. And this weekend, Donald Trump had a chance to walk back. He retweeted Katie Hopkins. You know who she is? An extremist who's so far to the right that the right in Britain says we don't want her. A woman who says she wants a final solution on Muslims, blame the Jews in Pittsburgh for their own massacre because she said the chief rabbi is actually pro-migrants, and she pals around with white supremacists. He retweeted her four times. Right, everybody stand by because we have President a lot Trump, more to the talk, racist. talk about, including the fight 
to take on President Trump. Uh, Democratic governors have a warning for those Democratic presidential candidates. The way you're going, you're not going to win re-election or election at all. That's next. I think the fear is around being pragmatic at the end of the day. I, I think the people in Wisconsin want to see issues resolved, and uh, pragmatism, I think, will carry the day. But I think any one of the 20-plus uh, that are running for president, they have to be pragmatic. They have to think about how we're going to get from point A to point B. That was Wisconsin's Democratic governor who was raising the alarm, warning his own party's presidential candidates about going too far left to ultimately win the White House in 2020. Okay, so let's discuss that with the Democrats at the table. You've, you've had your share of yeah. experience in, uh, in presidential politics. Uh, do you see this field and the way it's going, and do you also worry about the general election? I, I don't worry at this point because that's what the primary purpose is for. The whole purpose is put out ideas, hash those ideas out. You know, it's for us to sort of pick and choose. You may not like where Elizabeth Warren is, but let's hear the idea. I mean, and I prefer to have a, a primary discussion about ideas than making it personal, than making it right. And we're going to hear, I think, a fascinating conversation between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders on health care, on the economy. That's what it should. That's what should be happening? Uh, Democrats always bring a plastic straw to a <laughs> gunfight. We're going to get to that. Don't <laughs> <laughs> bring our parade. And, and, and they always stab themselves. Republicans bring a bazooka and kill everyone, including their own base. So and you're saying you agree. I say, listen, I say if you look at the center, right, that's why I hate this language, because Democrats are always hijacked by the Republican base. They're always chasing this mythical, moderate, unicorn, ordinary American drinking real coffee in the real diner that they've never met before. And the right <laughs> has shifted so far to the right that it's dragged the center with it, right? So you have to be like left of center. But if you look at the ideas, if you look at most of the policies, just look at them. Most Americans are for acknowledging climate change yeah. and battling climate change. Donald Trump says, I don't, I don't know if climate change exists. That's my Donald Trump impression. You also look at, uh, at health care, right? At least they're debating health care options. Look at the Republicans. Donald Trump wants to kill Obamacare. There's Texas v. United States in the courts right now mm -hmm. to get to the Supreme Court to do the 5-4 decision. So I say go on the offensive. What I'll say is this, if you're a Democrat, you think we're too liberal? Well, some of our positions might be a little bit liberal, but we want to give health care to everybody. It might be Medicare for all. It might be this public option. It might just be Obamacare. But yeah. compare us to Donald Trump and the Republicans who want to kill Obamacare. I, you're you're smiling for the first time this morning. To compare. So the Democrats <laughs> want to give free health care to illegal immigrants. Yeah. They want to destroy and eliminate private health insurance. They want to not, put, all, they, all not, not all of them. Not all. Not all. Well, eventually, whether you're for the public option or you're for Medicaid for all, it's Let's eventually going to destroy. What actually said, because some of them have said that's not what they. He's been very clear. He says, he's look, he's one of twenty-four. It's, it's a, that it's a, mean it's a for it. You no, can't no. use one and say they're all for something. No, no, no. They, the the folks who are not for Medicaid for all are for a public option, and the folks who are for the public option, Cory Booker said it on the show there. It's a ramp to to where we want to go, which is eliminating private health care. You want you want to give free tuition to everybody, and by the way, everybody who has to who has uh, loans, we're going to wipe out all the loans, and all these people, seventy four percent of Americans who don't have college degrees, you're going to pay for all this, but, but and you wonder why the guy drinking a cup of coffee doesn't Again, want the Democrats to be so in you're charge. Taking uh, Bernie you Sanders, you're taking Bernie Sanders' ideas, and you're saying that's what everybody because thinks. Everybody's it's following not, Bernie. No, they're you not. They don't all, Everybody they don't has moved toward that. They're debating ideas. Bernie. The problem is, is with what Wajahat said. It's not a mythical person in the middle of the country drinking real coffee that you've never met. 
The problem is you've never met them. They're real. <laughs> and they are the reason Donald yeah. Trump won, because okay. the Democratic Party have left so many of those behind. And so did the Republican Party, um, by the you way. You know what else those Until by Trump. the way? Okay. Until, Until Trump. Trump. And so those are real people. And neither I, I agree the only real party trying to reach out to them at the moment is the Republican Party. And the Democrats have an opportunity, but they're going to kill it with decriminalizing the border right. and 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 abolishing Essie, I know you want and me to get in here on this. Thank straws. you. I, because the and other straws. thing that people who are drinking real coffee, I'm going to get you started. <laughs> <laughs> people who are drinking real coffee probably don't like are the paper straws, which the Trump campaign is seizing on. This is a lighter note, but it actually is serious in that it's related to the to the cultural changes in this country. Uh, now offered at the campaign store for Trump 2020 are plastic straws. And the Trump <laughs> campaign manager wrote in an email uh, introducing this, much like most liberal ideas, paper straws don't work and they fall apart instantly. That's why we just launched our latest product, official Trump straws. Now you can finally be free from liberal paper straws and fa <laughs> that fall apart within minutes and ruin your drink. And I will mm -hmm. tell you that he actually mentioned to me that this idea came after he was drinking out of a paper and, straw mm -hmm. at an airport and it fell and apart. And it's very important to understand, these are recyclable papers. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, recyclable plastic. Yeah, because, uh, plastic straws, because a lot of the plastic straws are not recyclable and end up in the general mm -hmm. waste. Yeah. The so, Trump campaign is, used, is being environmentally sensitive. Okay. Plastic straws but, but are recyclable. Let's get serious, because this gets at a larger point about a large cultural shifts yeah. and people in parts but, of the country not, not getting it, not understanding it. it, and hating it. Yeah. But here's the thing. You're, you're right about that. But I would rather have a president who tells me the truth than one who lies and says, tries to tell you that we are not going to be a majority-minority country. We already are. We're here. We're not going anywhere. So this guy who says those people are, it's your fault. It's their fault. You don't have a job. And then didn't even right. bring the jobs back we, where we he have said he was going. Seconds, yeah, I got to no, let it's, it's, get it's, in. It's, 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 it's a much simpler, it's a much simpler argument Straw to rank. say plastic straws. I was at my hotel this morning here and I ordered an iced coffee. It came in a plastic <laughs> cup with a lid. I said, can I have a straw? We're a straw free property. How am I supposed to drink this thing? And I was like, oh, well, that, well this, is how, right. this that's is how that's he's going to win. All right, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that moment radicalized Thank you. That right is there. A fascinating discussion. <laughs> Up next, we are going to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with the 2020 presidential candidates. Who's ahead in the Hollywood primary? Stay with us. For Democratic 2020 candidates, the Hollywood primary is heating up. Check this out. Senator Kamala Harris hanging out with some pop stars this weekend. Well, who else is picking sides? Hollywood may have found a new leading man. Campaign finance disclosures out this week reveal that in the race for celebrity support, 37-year-old South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg may be pulling ahead. This spring, the Indiana mayor scooped up donations from a star-studded cast of Hollywood royalty, including Gwyneth Paltrow, Michael J. Fox, and Kevin Bacon. In fact, in Hollywood these days, it's more like six degrees of Mayor Pete. Another favorite among the celebrity set, their home state senator, Kamala Harris, who scored donations from Sean Penn, Don Cheadle, and former TV spy Jennifer Garner. This is how it's going to be. America's sweetheart Tom Hanks wrote a check to former Vice President Joe Biden's campaign. He could also offer the former VP some advice on debate prep. You never know what you're going to get. 
One complication, in this 2020 election cycle, cashing big checks from millionaires could be problematic. You become kind of a favored candidate of, uh, of the elite. We're trying to reach everybody at every different level. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren has sworn off, quote, fancy receptions or big money fundraisers. I am not doing fundraisers with multimillionaires. But Hollywood just can't seem to quit her. Warren still found support from Bette Midler, Amy Schumer and Scarlett Johansson. Some celebrities couldn't pick just one candidate, like fictional presidential advisor Bradley Whitford. I serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. He gave to Buttigieg, Senator Cory Booker, and former HUD Secretary Julian Castro. The primary race is just getting started. But if one of these Democrats wins in 2020, the future president may need Hollywood's help on a sequel. Thank you so much for joining us. Fareed Zakaria is next. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.